Copy, Hog Zero One. Night Owl, Hog Zero One. Friendly's in sight, target in sight, in from the south. In from the south, you are cleared on, cleared on. Wolf Hog Element, good guns, good guns. My childhood, the biggest thing that uh, I, tip, I had to overcome was the fact that my father was uh, schizophrenic. Um, and so uh, that was tough. Um, he was abusive uh, toward my mother. And, uh, um, you know, I, I just felt like I could have totally gone the wrong way for sure. Um, but uh, what kept me in line was probably uh, the friends that I had, the church that I was a part of, and my mother's faith. Welcome to the Pathway to Wings podcast a podcast for those looking to become Air Force aviators and hosted by current Air Force aviators. For today's episode, I'll be your host. My name is Major John Waters, call sign Rain. My guest for today's podcast is Major Jay Park, call sign Spins, who is a weapons system operator or WIZO, as we call it, on the F-15E Strike Eagle. He immigrated from Korea at a young age, having to learn English. He had a few hurdles to overcome on his journey and his path becoming an Air Force officer which I think you're really going to enjoy listening to. So with that being said, let's get into the podcast with Major Jay Spins Park. Spins, before we get rolling into the podcast, will you tell me a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and what you're doing today? Yeah, uh, so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, my name is uh, Jay uh, Park, and I go by call sign Spins, uh, as he stated too. I'm a uh, Strike Eagle uh, Wizzo by trade. Uh, weapon systems officer, a backseater, and the F-15E. Um, I went through the uh, program when I joined the Air Force uh, in 2006, um, and I decided that uh, I wanted to fly. Um, and for me at the time, the best way for me to do that was to uh, be a, a navigator. I knew nothing about the program, but uh, I went down to Pensacola and uh, ended up uh, selecting F-15s. And uh, I could have been a, a bomber wizzo as well, but I wanted something fast and be able to see outside my window and uh, fly upside down from time to time. Um, so I went through that pipeline, graduated, uh, went to England um, at uh, RAF Lakenheath, uh, where I uh, deployed a couple of times, uh, once to uh, Bagram in Afghanistan and once to Djibouti, Africa. Uh, after that, my assignment, I ended up coming to Texas where I flew T-38s and uh, taught at uh, IFF. Uh, IFF is a fighter fundamentals course uh, that all pilots and whistles have to accomplish before they go to fly an actual fighter. Um, and so I taught there for four years. Then I went to Korea uh, where I was a uh, master air attack planner. Uh, and I did that for two years. And then I went to Pensacola, where I started my training for the Air Force. And I taught uh, the next generation of uh, WIZOs as well. Um, I got to do that for two years. And then I got uh, directly hired on uh, here for AFRS Debt One uh, to be the DO here. And so I'm excited to be here and uh, excited to recruit the uh, next generation of aviators and uh, hopefully be uh, diverse and uh, inclusive as well. Awesome. Yeah. So AFRS, for those who don't know, Air Force Recruiting Service and then Director of Operations. So the number two guy over at uh, Detachment One doing a lot of good work. Um, there's a lot to break down and to dig out here, but I like to start kind of the beginning and where Spins got his start 
where did you grow up? What did your childhood look like? And, you know, what was the first step to becoming an Air Force officer for you? Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, a Korean American, an immigrant story that uh, has always uh, uh, been with me that I carry proudly as well. Um, I was born in uh, South Korea. Uh, in Mazan, which is a, uh, a suburb city, uh, 30 minutes outside of Busan. And uh, Busan, South Korea uh, is the second largest city uh, to Seoul. Uh, but anyways, uh, grew up relatively poor, but uh, our family uh, had relatives in America that helped us immigrate. Uh, and when I was eight years old, uh, my dad, my mom, uh, my older brother and I, we uh, immigrated to uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma of all places. Uh, so um, eight years old, went to school. Um, we actually immigrated in the summer and then started school right away, uh, not knowing um, a central, uh, single uh, English word, uh, went to school. And uh, in order for us to learn the language, the school system uh, had a tutor, but also every day my brother and I would go to first grade uh, of the elementary school system and learn to read with the other kids that were also learning. So that was a unique situation that we went through, but uh, it took about a year for my brother and I get, to get comfortable. Uh, but also uh, being Asian American, uh, we were aided by other families in the neighborhood who also had two boys. Um, and so we kind of fit right in and uh, 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 became like a little uh, group of of uh, Sandlot kids that look Korean uh, American in the middle of Oklahoma. <laughs> Got into lots of trouble uh, for sure. But my childhood, the biggest thing that uh, I tip, I had to overcome was the fact that my father was uh, schizophrenic. Um, and so uh, that was tough. Um, he was abusive uh, toward my mother. And, uh, um, you know, I, I just felt like I could have totally gone the wrong way for sure. Um, but, uh, what kept me in line was probably, uh, the friends that I had, the church that I was a part of and my mother's, uh, and continuing to tell us that, uh, we could be somebody and we could do some things and that, uh, she was basically the cornerstone for our family. So I didn't want to let her down. Um, and so I just tried to do my best to, uh, please her. And, uh, eventually that got me on the path, uh, to, um, going to college and uh, getting a ROTC, ROTC scholarship. But um, interestingly enough, when I was in high school, because we weren't so well-to-do, I almost enlisted in the Army. Um, and thankfully, I had a friend uh, whose father looked at me like I was crazy and said, don't chase the money now, like go to school, graduate. You know, while it's tough now, it'll be worth it in the long run if you would just get your degree and then join the military as an officer. Talk about a glove save there, right? Oh yeah. Huge. The huge, you know, your, your childhood and mine are vastly different and the hurdles you had to overcome, I would say are far greater than anything I had to overcome from just the start of going from Korea to Oklahoma, obviously a very big culture shock there, but the language barrier in itself, I know it's, they say it's easier to learn a language as you're young, but was there anything yeah. really significantly challenging about learning the English language and like staying, you know, on, on path, on track with all the other kids? Yeah. So I think education system, obviously it's well known that uh, Korea has a, a very great uh, education system. And so what was 
easy for me was math. And they'll tell you that all the time. But I was probably doing like fifth grade math as a second grader when I was in Korea. So uh, when I came to the States, like math was just easy for me. So it was nothing that I really had to be concerned about. But um, I got to be quite honest. I don't know how I learned it. I just know that I remember going uh, to see a tutor. I remember going to first grade to learn with other kids. Uh, but just fast forward a year or two and I was able to communicate. Now, I will say just language in general isn't my strong suit to begin with. So I was never good at reading. I was never good at literature. I was not good at comprehension. My vocab was bad. Like English, uh, anything that's English related, going through college uh, or high school, you name it, like writing papers, it was all a struggle for me. And, and still to this day, I, I will tell you, like, I hate to read. I hate to write papers. Um, so I'm not quite sure how I've made it so far. But uh, <laughs> that uh, has always been a challenge for me. And it still is. That is pretty incredible. And I don't want to gloss over either the fact that obviously the home life you were raised in was a challenge, too. You did allude to the fact that your mom was kind of like the big and not letting your mom down was a big like pushing factor for you to succeed because while it might be cliche, like you said, it could be very easy for you to fall into doing the wrong things or going down the wrong path. So do you think it really was just having a really strong like mom and not wanting to let her down that drove you to success? Or was there something else there? Yeah, so I think um, all of it, right? Um, to me, a big philosophy in life is um, it's not about me. It's not about one individual um, it's a collective. So there are so many people that I could probably recount that have helped me and shaped me to become the person that I am. Uh, but yeah, if I had a single out, you know, one thing I would say would be my faith um, and my faith that was brought on by uh, my mother, who her faith in God was so strong that she kept our family together. So as I had mentioned, my father was abusive. Um, or sorry, he was schizophrenic, but he was abusive on top of that. And so my mom had to not only work two jobs uh, to raise two boys, uh, in a, and she was a college graduate in Korea. So well-educated, but, you know, coming to a new country, she had to, um, you know, humble herself. And we were um, uh, cleaning. So we were janitors. Uh, I remember like coming home from school and then getting into the car and then driving to these large uh, buildings and the cleaning offices for, you know, three, four five hours. Um, and that was reg regular life for me. So I didn't really have time to, you know, do homework or sometimes go out and play uh, because we had to, you know, support my mom. That was my childhood. And just seeing her work several jobs on top of that, getting abused by my father um, and still for her to keep our family together, she could have left. She said she had countless of times where she came home and she was ready to leave. So she could have left us. Uh, she could have left him. But uh, for her to say to me when I was 12 years old, hey, this is a burden for our family to uh, carry. I will not leave you and I will stay with this family because um, I'm not I'm not leaving. And so that level of commitment and her faith in God to believe that that was something that um, a burden for us to carry 
Um, it's just something that I can't witness and then and think my life is hard. You know, I looked at her life and I thought, well, I have nothing to complain about. The things that I'm dealing with is probably uh, trivial when I have to compare it to the life that she's living. And so, yeah, uh, for me, that's a hands down, like I wanted to be not an additional burden to her. Yeah, that's huge. And the fact that, I mean, an incredibly mature view to take on life at that point in your life, as well as given the circumstances you were dealing with. So hats off to you. I know there are a lot of other people that yeah. go through and like struggle with things. There are always gonna be hurdles and there are always gonna be roadblocks and you got to push through it. But for me, you know, that definitely resonates as a really chal- challenging upbringing and a success story of coming out of something that could have turned and taken you down a completely different path. So kind of, kind of lends to getting to the next phase of life, which is going into college and then eventually into the air force. What were some of the steps you took to get into ROTC? Was it just kind of happenstance or what did it look like? Yeah. I having grown up in Oklahoma as an Asian American, again, there's not a lot of us. And, uh, as a kid, I couldn't wait to leave. I mean, I was just waiting and waiting. Uh, I put some, you know, applications out there in college. And again, I wasn't the best student. I'll just be flat out honest. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, I wasn't. Um, I, I put some effort into it when I was in high school, uh, my last couple of years to make sure that uh, I could at least go to college. Um, but bottom line is, again, um, we just didn't have a lot of money. And so if I stayed in Oklahoma, I could have gotten the grants and I couldn't have gotten the scholarship. And uh, Oklahoma in-state tuition was like, back then it was only like a couple thousand dollars a semester. And uh, I actually commuted for the first couple of years as well so that I can save some money and help continue to support my mom. And uh, at the time, though, as a freshman, I realized that, you know, um, helping support my mom and still trying to get things paid for, I could have used extra money. And so I ended up going through an engineering degree because, again, I was decent at math. And so uh, I ended up choosing aerospace uh, engineering. Um, I don't know what made me do it. I think I had this idea that like aerospace engineering meant like I could potentially go to space one day. I mean, <laughs> uh, I wanted to go to space. Uh, I'm really interested about uh, the stars and um, just, you know, it's just fascinating to me. And so I got into that program and then I quickly realized like, this is not going to get me into <laughs> space. <laughs> <laughs> And so then uh, I looked around and uh, thankfully there were three other uh, cadets um, that were in class with me. And uh, I kind of ended up talking to them and they're like, you should really just look at, you know, ROTCs. And so, uh, again, by God's good grace, like I went to the army uh, first. I'm like, hey, you guys have an ROTC program? Like, can I, you know, apply? And they're like, nope, I don't have time for you. I went to the Navy. They said the same thing. I don't have time for you. Then I went to the Marine Corps. They're like, nope, sorry. And so then I ended up circling back around, going to the Air Force. Because, again, in my mind, I had this thought, like, Air Force isn't really military. You just fly jets, right? Like, it was just a total naive thing that I didn't fully understand. Um, And so when I went to the Air Force, they're like, you have an aerospace engineering degree or that's what you're pursuing. Hey, you know, come audit our classes. And if you're up for it and you have the grades, then we'll offer you a scholarship. And um, so, yeah, my my entire sophomore year, I audited Air Force 
uh, ROTC program. And then in my third year, I got a scholarship and then I ended up finishing out my program. That's how I ended up uh, paying for college and uh, going to the Air Force route. Nice. And that landed you down in Pensacola at the conclusion of graduating and commissioning as a second lieutenant. And you're going through navigator training, right? Can you talk to me a little bit about yep. navigator training? Because again, it was Wizzos and then Sizzos and lots of different paths there. Oh, yeah. So all really confusing. So when I was in ROTC, they, you know, uh, did a good job of, you know, convincing me that I needed to fly. And so I did that. But because of my vision um, requirements, and I wasn't very good at playing video games either. So I just figured out I wouldn't be a good pilot. Uh, so that was like the next best thing is go be a navigator. I'm like, great. Um, I still get to fly. I still get to drop bombs, shoot missiles. Like that sounds fun. Um, but again, no one in my program knew anything about this uh, WIZO program. And at the time, and when I went through, there were navigators, panel navs, and then there were uh, WIZOs. So if you wanted to fly the B-1, the B-52, or the F-15, you had to go to Pensacola. And if you wanted to be in the backseat uh, for a lot of the other platforms, uh, like the bigger platforms, um, you had to go to Randolph uh, in Texas. So I strictly picked Pensacola. Like I said, I was itching to leave the state. I wanted to go to Florida. Um, and I thought, you know, when I arrived in Pensacola, I didn't realize that I ended up in South Alabama as opposed to Florida. So that was a big, <laughs> that was a big mistake on my part, assuming Pensacola was Florida. But uh, uh, technically it is, but culturally it yeah. really isn't. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I show up there and uh, what I want to share about um, the CISO, what it's called now, what we used to be our navigators. Um with these wings, but uh, we're now called CISOs, Combat System Officers. So that is uh, the big title um, that everyone gets as a rating when you finish the program. But underneath that, there are four different uh, names. So WISO, Weapon Systems Officer, which is a subset. And then you have an EWO, E-W-O, uh, Electronic Warfare Officer. Uh, you also have a nav, which is a traditional navigator on uh, some of the other platforms. And then you have the uh, SOs or sensor operators that fly on uh, spec ops uh, or uh, special warfare aircraft. And so from that, you can track into different lanes, uh, four different lanes and uh, continue to get your wings. Yeah, obviously there's a lot that goes into that. And then you track the, the WIZO route, the weapon system operator, putting you into the pointy end of the spectrum as far as flying fast, flying upside down and, and dropping bombs. Can you tell me yeah. a little bit about your career flying and the Strike Eagle and what that was like in some of those deployments? Yeah. Um, so so once I tracked uh, Wizzos, again, like I said for my uh, intro, like I just wanted to be able to fly fast and look outside and shoot missiles and uh, drop bombs. And and really, it just seemed like an interesting, fun, exciting thing to do. Um, and so eventually, I went through the program, went through IFF, went through the B course at Seymour. And uh, along that route, I met my uh, lovely wife and I got married. And uh, one of the things that we decided <clears throat> was, hey, we kind of want to travel the world. And uh, Again, I was itching to leave Oklahoma, so I was like, hey, I want to get as far away as, as I can, and uh, we ended up being able to go to uh, RAF Lake and Heath, uh, which is in England, 
And uh, from there, I got to just be straight up honest. Uh, I wasn't part of a fraternity. And so I didn't realize what it was to be kind of in a fighter squadron, um, just this tight knit uh, brotherhood, a sisterhood, a, a camaraderie of you know aviators. I ended up uh, doing okay. Uh, went on my first deployment um, to Afghanistan, and um, man, uh, just a interesting time for sure. Uh, we went in the middle of the uh, summer, so it was very hot. Uh, but thankfully, Bagram is, you know, 5,000 feet uh, MSL. And so it it was, uh, um, man, I, I don't know. It's just so much to describe, so much that I got to do and witness. And um, uh, throughout that deployment, um, I, you know, launched on alert. I, uh, you know, got to drop bombs within like 10 minutes after getting the call. I've supported, you know, special uh, special ops guys on the ground. One thing that really uh, sticks out in my mind about deploying in Afghanistan is just, uh, you know, every time we walk out the door, we would slap this label uh, that said, um, it's for the 18-year-old Marine on the ground. And so uh, that was just always uh, something that uh, st- stood out to me is, you know, I was flying and you could get, you know, philosophical about, you know, if we should have been there, if we shouldn't have been there. Uh, if we're doing what we were supposed to do or what the right answer was. But at the end of the day, we knew that we had friendlies and U.S. Marines and uh, our Army soldiers on the ground that are trying to do the mission that they were told to execute. And um, we had to go out there and, you know, have their backs. So uh, that's the big takeaway I have from my deployments as a Strike Eagle Wizzo. Yeah, so no doubt there's a lot in there that I think is pertinent to this conversation and really ties back to, I think you and I are similar. It's that 18 year old Marine on the ground who you're, you're looking to support. And what that does, it's tied to a mission and every platform has a different mission and it has a different piece to the puzzle and everyone has to play in the right spot at the right time to make everything happen, whether it's being, you know, hauling cargo across the world. So the munitions are there or the supplies are there to, the tankers are providing gas and they're airborne at the right time so that the pointy end guys can get, get gas and go drop bombs. But yeah. that's what I get a lot of questions about. Hey, like I want to go fly this plane or that plane. And we kind of gloss over it like tongue in cheek, like, Hey, we don't fly fast. We don't fly upside down. But I think it really comes down as to like the mission and what the mission we're doing and what that, you know, says about you and what your interest is and what you're passionate about. You know, nine 11 was a big catalyst for me and joining the military. Uh, So going out there and getting back at the guys who, you know, took down the towers and struck the Pentagon and killed all those innocent people was a big factor for me. My question would be to you is what do you think, you know, as a, as a young person who is looking to pursue a career in the military, specifically looking to pursue a career into aviation, how do they go about deciding on like, Hey, what plane do I want to go fly? Oh man. Yeah. So Again, yeah, today's 9-11, so it's like the literally um, a perfect segue um, into why we, we joined. And, um, you know, for me, like I said, honestly, I, I joined because uh, it was something that I, I needed some stability in my life uh, and a paycheck. But, uh, again, having supported the 18-year-olds on the ground and uh, having experienced that, it's just something that I couldn't um, – I wouldn't trade for for anything. But – 
um, you know, I, I instructed as well a couple of years down at Pensacola where these students were trying to decide, hey, what should I do? Um, what platform should I uh, get into? And um, for me, it's just your personality and, and your whys. Um, you know, we all have our whys as to, um, to everything, all the decisions and the choices that we make. And so no matter what someone tells you about what you can expect in the future uh, that might hold true for you but you know to the same individual or to another brother or sister in the same family that might not hold true so i always just tell the students like just go with what you think is best and go with like your heart because um you know, no matter what I can tell you uh, in your head, and you can play all these games to try and figure out what you think is best for you. But all I can do is tell you like my story. And at the time when I decided it was, hey, you know, the bombers were deploying uh, every year and a half and they were gone for six months. And at least the Strike Eagles at the time, they were deploying every uh, year and a half or so, but they were deploying for uh, four months at the time. And and the mission set itself seemed a little bit different as well. So um, for me, I think, again, as naive as it was, my decision-making was purely, again, I wanted to fly fast and shoot missiles and be able to see outside. And um, I think would I have had a great career and loved my job if I went to the bomber route? Yes, I don't I don't doubt that for a second. Um, but, um, you know, just make the decisions and you talk to every Air Force officer who have flown and uh, they will have similar stories and no one will tell you, oh, my job was terrible because it's the life experience that we gain from the military. That's just um, that's just you can't pay for, you know, and so take that experience and run with it. And uh, I don't think you could make a bad choice. When I joined, I was going to be an engineer because I thought you had to be an engineer to be a pilot what I failed to do is really find mentors that like had walked the path before me to say, Oh no, this is really what you need to, you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be a pilot. And so right. that's like the biggest thing. I think when it comes down to it is seeking out mentors and seeking out people that have like walked the path and like ask those questions. So you're not making those decisions in the blind. Cause I know I made a lot of decisions in the blind that maybe yeah. turn out different. I'm happy the way everything turned out. But again, it comes down to it is, you're not the first person to do this. You won't be the last person to do it. Um, and there's a lot of information out there. And this, you know, this is one format, right, of bringing people together to hopefully answer some of those questions. Yeah, for sure. So as we kind of wrap up here, I want, like looking back, if you found 15-year-old spins on the street, it could even be 14-year-old spins for that matter. Is there any <laughs> advice you would you would give him or anything you would say to maybe vector them a different direction or do something differently? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, there was maybe one uh, big decision I, I could have made in my life um, when I was in college to potentially have gone a different route. Um, but as I look back on myself now from, you know, um, what I've gotten to accomplish and experience, like I wouldn't change it for sure. But the 15-year-old, the I would tell, you know, uh, Jay Park at the time, man, you just got to understand that everything happens for a reason and that uh, you will make some, you know, bad choices and you will make some good choices. Uh, but not to, 
let you know not to put your head down on potentially some of the bad choices that you make in life because again uh you can overcome everything you've been given the tools there are people that have uh loved you that will continue to support you and you just got you to set your mind on something and then and then all things will come about and then the only other thing that i would just tell spins would just be like man like learn to read and learn to write and you know <laughs> and and love it and the education never stops like i just had this idea that like you know what when i graduate like it'll be over and you know it just again never stops and so i wish i would have never kind of set a plateau for when my education stops and so i think that's a that's a big thing for kids to understand like you will never stop learning you will never stop experiencing life and there's always room for growth. And so um, learn that early. Yeah, no doubt. And to all the kids who speak English already and are listening to this, like you already have an advantage over Spence same time. Yeah. You know, like I had it easy. So that's the thing is like, there's no excuse to go out there and not crush it. Right. Amen to that. Awesome. Spence, well, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Really enjoyed hearing your story. I know people are going to enjoy it as well. So thanks again. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on. And uh, again, go Air Force. Thanks for listening in to the Pathway to Wings podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.